Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Kyle Rader, MD, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics in the Division of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine at Duke Children's Hospital, Duke University, Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Rader's research interests are in patient safety in critical care. Today, he's going to be talking about his article, Survey of In-House Coverage by Pediatric Intensivists, Characterization of 24-7 In-Hospital Pediatric Critical Care Faculty Coverage, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in 2014. Thank you for being here with us today, Kyle. Thanks so much, Dr. Parker. Thanks for having me and for letting me present our study findings. So would you start by giving some, us some background about why you did this study? Sure. The um, the decision to transition to a 24-7 in-house model at our institution was largely driven by more administration and non-critical care physicians. And while patient safety really has to come first, we were unsure how this change in coverage would affect patient care, particularly since we already had in-house fellows, pediatric critical care fellows. And as faculty, we were pretty quick to come in from home if there was an issue or if help was needed. So we also felt it was important to try to understand not only the effect on patient care, but also to understand and measure some of the unanticipated consequences of this shift in coverage, including the effect on faculty burnout, lifestyle, academic productivity, as well as the effect on house staff education. When we just looked at Duke's experience, we didn't see big changes before and after going in-house, either on patients or on the educational experience, but we knew that 24-7 in-house coverage was really a new large trend nationally. And therefore, we want to try to better characterize the overall current status of in-house coverage among academic centers throughout the country and, and elsewhere, and also to try to get a better feel for some of the secondary effects that in-house coverage provided that had not yet been quantified. So what did you do in this study? Who did you survey? What were you asking about? So we surveyed physicians who work in the pediatric ICU. So that included pediatric intensivists, people who'd completed training there, pediatric critical care fellows, and also pediatric and med-ped residents who rotate through the unit. We sent the surveys to academic centers across the United States and Canada, and that included all pediatric residency training sites in the United States and several other academic centers that we identified through the POLICI network, the Pediatric Acute Lung Injury and Sepsis Investigators. We used a web-based survey, and it took about five to 10 minutes to complete. There were 80 questions, but logic was embedded into the survey so that not every physician had to answer every question. We focused on three main areas of in-house coverage, the perceived effect on patients of in-house coverage, the effect on the faculty, and also the effect on education. Included in the effects on the faculty, we used questions from the Maslach burnout inventory to try to measure burnout among faculty members. So if you were largely interested in the faculty effects, why did you include residents in your survey? Well, so that was largely included to look at the educational effects as well. And so wondering is, does having physicians at the bedside, attending physicians at the bedside uh, more frequently, how does that affect their autonomy? Also, how does it affect their supervision? Do we, are things better because we have increased bedside teaching? Or potentially, is there a deficit because physicians, trainees lose autonomy and are less likely to be able to make their own decisions and learn from those decisions? So what were the major findings in this survey? So fortunately, we received a good sampling of sites. We had over 1,300 responses. We represented, uh, it had over 150 centers, excuse me, almost 150 centers. We had one-fifth of the pediatric intensivists in the country. We also had over half of the pediatric fellows in the country. I think this really highlights the widespread interest in this topic and, and how much it's on people's mind right now. 
the great majority of respondents, uh, 86%, felt that in-house coverage was a good thing for patients. But more than half also reported that in-house, more than half of intensivists, I should say, reported that in-house coverage had negative effects on their academic productivity, on their family and personal life, and also increased their risk for burnout. Throughout the survey, physicians showed a preference for the type of model in which they currently work. So, for example, physicians who are currently working in a 24-7 in-house coverage model were much more likely to be positive about the benefits of in-house coverage and also were less likely to perceive negative effects of in-house coverage. So we presume that this may be due simply to self-selection and that physicians chose to work in the model that they felt was the best type of model to work in and the best for patients. So to get around this, we also looked at physicians who had experience working in both models, the physicians who had spent some of their career in an in-house model and some of their career in a home model. And these physicians still showed a preference for in-house coverage, suggesting that the reality of in-house coverage maybe isn't quite as bad as the perception by those who've not worked in an in-house model. How many of the physicians who responded worked in in-house models versus home coverage versus the mixed model? If you uh, looked at the current coverage model of attending physicians, about a little more than half, 53% worked in an in-house model. About a quarter worked in a home coverage model, and then the, the other quarter, uh, 21% actually worked in a mixed model. And what we defined as a mixed model was a center that provided in-house coverage some nights of the week, but not all seven nights of the week. Uh, as you move through the other specialties, uh, other roles, excuse me, fellows and residents, it stayed fairly consistent. Uh, the critical care fellows had the lowest number of mixed coverage. Uh, they were 57% in-house and 26% in-home coverage. So the, that high percentage of people working with in-house coverage supports your earlier statement that this has become pretty much a widespread national movement. Yeah, and there's some other studies out there that also support that. One particularly is a uh, work- workforce survey from a few years ago by Dr. Odatola from, I believe he's, he's at Michigan. And then currently the AAP is working on their next workforce survey. So we ex- I expect that should be coming out hopefully within the next year. And my guess is that we'll only see a continued increase. So what were the results with regards to the concerns about faculty burnout, faculty productivity, uh, and so forth? Sure. So when we looked at burnout scores among the faculty, there was not a significant difference based on the coverage model. Uh, What we did see was an increased burnout with increased numbers of nights spent in the hospital, and that was regardless of coverage model. So things that were protective for burnout included working with fellows, uh, which increased overall job satisfaction, and years of experience, which actually increased sense of a personal accomplishment, which was one of the measures of burnout. The nice thing we did see is that these scores tended to run lower than what we see in adult intensive care physicians, which there's uh, plenty of data showing a high rate of burnout among them. So there may be something about the pediatric ICU or working with children that may reduce the overall burnout rates. Something else became clear as we were evaluating the results of the survey, and that was really that not all of the in-house models are created equal. We asked what triggered attending physicians to physically go into their units, whether they were at home or whether they were in the hospital what caused them to actually go to walk into the unit, and we received a wide range of answers. Some went into the unit for every single call. Some only went into the unit for codes and emergencies. So based on the response to these questions, we classified the attendings, whether they were providing high, moderate, or low-intensity coverage, and it was pretty close to a one-third split among all three. And so this wasn't just variation from hospital to hospital, but within hospitals. Uh, Only a quarter of the hospitals had concordance between the attendings in regards to the style of coverage, and these were almost almost exclusively home coverage centers 
whose attendings only came in for emergencies. At the hospitals providing in-house coverage, some attendings would frequently go in the unit and some might as well have been at home. So <laughs> as we're trying to study 24-7 coverage, I'm not sure we really have any consensus what that means. Interesting. Do we have any information about patient outcomes? So we do. We, we asked in our own survey uh, if people had studied it at their institution, and seven different centers said that they had studied it. Four of those centers reported some benefit, and three reported that they did not see any benefit. So within our own study, the, the self-reported outcomes were mixed. The data that's out there in the literature is also fairly mixed. If you look at a study that actually I just saw came out today by Chris Carroll and his colleagues uh, at uh, Connecticut Children's, they saw improved survival after in-hospital cardiac arrest. But there was a lot of confounders that they really couldn't reconcile. Uh, The fact that these were some of these were from um, difference in disease severity. Uh, there was uh, been some other studies that showed difference in uh, length of stay and length of ventilation, but there's also several studies that did not show any benefit of going in-house. And a couple of the key ones I'll highlight is one is an adult randomized control trial that was recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And so within that adult ICU, they randomized in-house nights versus home coverage nights, and they saw no difference. And then there's another study that's not yet in print, but is currently under review by Dr. Kandahar and his colleagues. And they used the virtual PICU database, which looked at PICUs from across the country. And in aggregate, when they looked at that, they saw no difference for centers that provided in-house coverage versus those that did not. And my understanding is that they were able to account for severity of, of illness in that study. So as we think about this, we have to think not only about, you know, center to center and variability among physicians, but we also have to remember there may be some individual patients who benefit that don't really become apparent when we look at the data in aggregate. Well, it's interesting that this movement is largely driven by concerns about patient safety, but there are very limited data suggesting that there's really much difference. I think that's the case, and, and clearly there's a significant financial cost and potential you know, burden on the attending physicians who live it, and so I think that's one of the hardest things that we have to figure out. Clearly, if it's the right thing for patients, we need to figure out a way to make it happen, but along the way, we have to think about all the other factors, and, and currently in today's climate, uh, financial cost is not a small factor, and, and shouldn't have, it shouldn't at any point be a small factor but also the effect on, say, workload uh, and uh, workforce staffing. What we did clearly see in our study is that the increased number of nights in the hospital led to burnout and increased burnout. So as centers think about going to an in-house coverage model, they really need to be thoughtful about the number of nights that are expected to be worked in a given month. And this will often entire, uh, require hiring additional intensivists. And as we hire additional intensivists, that only drives up the cost more. And at some point, I'm not sure we have enough intensivists to cover the added workload. And, but if we don't cover it appropriately, then we're going to burn the physicians out and we're all of a sudden going to prematurely shrink our workforce even further. So we're in a bit of a conundrum. We are. You know, like I mentioned, 86% of the physicians who responded felt like this was a good thing for patients and, and at least had the perception. And so I think that the next big steps that we have to do is figure out how can we measure this more quantitatively, not only the effects on patients, which still is unclear, but also the effects on faculty and the effects on education. And I've mentioned education a few times. I'll just highlight very quickly that the findings from our survey that focused on educational effects, which just came out this week, uh, as published ahead of print and pediatrics, 
And similar to the rest of the survey, physicians who currently work in in-house coverage models are more favorable about the educational effects of in-house coverage model. However, there was still quite a bit of concern about the autonomy in house staff training. In fact, half of the pediatric intensivists in the survey felt that house staff who trained in an in-house coverage model would not be prepared to be in independent attendings at the end of their training. Again, there may be some bias included in this in that the great majority of these people, of the current intensivists, trained in a home coverage model, whereas now you have more than half of fellows training in an in-house coverage model. It seems to me that we are likely to continue to move toward more in-house coverage models. I think that's clearly been the trend, and I would expect that to continue. Like I mentioned, we'll see what the uh, upcoming AAP workforce survey shows, but that certainly seems to be the the major trend. And I think the, the horse is out of the barn on this one a little bit, and that's certainly becoming the perceived standard of care. In terms of the effect on one's academic productivity or non-clinical activities. Do you have data on that? So right now, all we have is the perceived data, so the reported data, the reported perceptions in our survey. And what we saw, again, is that about half of physicians felt like in-house coverage would negatively affect their ability to be academically productive and also negatively affect their lifestyle. Physicians who are in in-house coverage, though, felt less that way. So the, the people who've experienced in-house coverage aren't as concerned about that, and there was a significant difference in the responses of the in-house physicians versus the home coverage physicians. Uh, along the same lines, we tried to look at what are the expectations for promotion among the people who are in different coverage models, and in generally, they're fairly similar. That being said, we're seeing that centers that require in-house coverage are a little seem to be less likely to expect some of the same uh, research and academic productivity as those that are requiring in-house coverage. So it may make us rethink what an academic position means if you're in intensive care as opposed to some of the other specialties. Mm -hmm. I think that for pediatrics, the manpower issues are a little bit less pressing than they are for adult critical care. The fiscal concerns are certainly no less for pediatrics than they are for adult medicine. But looking at pediatric workforce issues, it, we will be no doubt stretched to try to cover every unit 24-7. But I think we're in a little bit better shape than the adult folks are. And I think it goes into some of the same solutions that have been looked at in the adult world and in hospitals for other other things. Are there ways to utilize fellows? You know, if, if you have a fellowship program and you have senior fellow in-house, does having the attending physician in-house add that much more to the patient care or just having the attending physician readily available to be in-house within 30 minutes? Can the, can the senior fellow deal with things until the meantime? How can we use nurse practitioners or physician assistants in a, in a timely way to maybe provide that coverage as well? And that may be a way that we can stretch the workforce further. So it seems as though even though we don't have compelling data that this is better for our patients Most of us probably believe that it is, myself included. And the effects on the education of the residents, at least, are unclear. But I think, as you said, the horse is out of the barn, and this is where we're going. It's kind of try it, you'll like it. Right. And I think a lot of that then goes back to into, okay, we're going to be in-house. How do we make the most of being in-house? from a patient care standpoint, what are those key factors in the centers that showed a difference versus those that didn't that led to improved outcomes? Why do we not see improved outcomes among every center? How do we make the best use 
of the time of the faculty when they are in-house. And in the meantime, how do we also make sure that they get the rest and support they need to still be productive academically, to still avoid burnout so that we can still have you know, high retention rates and, and physicians who are happy doing their work? How can we also make the most of the educational opportunities? Because while there's some data that suggests that how staff should be able to make and, and can safely make autonomous decisions, and that's an important part of their training, we also know that they need to be supervised appropriately. So how do we find that balance and how do we train the intensivists coming out to support the, the fellows at the bedside or the residents at the bedside to make those autonomous decisions, but yet still pull back enough? It's, it's hard as intensivists because I think we're trained to act quickly, to act in the best way possible. And can we choose those moments where it's going to make a clear difference for the patient to intervene versus the other times allowing the house staff a little bit of leeway to make those decisions? I think you exactly described the challenge that is ahead of us. Do you have any further comments you'd like to make? As I've mentioned earlier, the, the biggest thing is trying to, we have a, a good sense of where perceptions are that it's clear that people are going to more and more in-house coverage. So how can we better quantify what the true effects are? And looking at all of the things we mentioned for the effect on patients, the effect on trainees, the effect on faculty, and get better quantify those those effects. And so that's things that we're continuing to work on. It's, it's not uh, easy or straightforward, but we hope to have data coming out in the, in the next few years that may give us a little bit more information, and hopefully we continue to to streamline this, which is really something we're all learning how to do together. Well, thank you very much, Kyle, for spending some time with us talking about your paper. Of course. Thanks again for having me. We have been talking with Dr. Kyle Rader from Duke Children's Hospital in Durham, North Carolina, discussing the article, Survey of In-House Coverage by Pediatric Intensivists, Characterization of 24-7 In-Hospital Pediatric Critical Care Faculty Coverage. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare. For the iCriticalCare podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCriticalCare podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.